we are live. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night to wherever you are streaming from. As many of you are aware, I am Jake, this is Daniel, and we are bringing you Stock Talk presented by Stock Unlock, episode 31. We're going to dive really deep into Airbnb earnings this week, uh, talk about a few macro things happening in the economy and our favorite thing, talking with the chat. We do have an ask for our viewers, especially if you are listening to the recording. As many of you know, Daniel and I are two out of three founders of Stock Unlock. We are trying to do some customer discovery here. If you are a financial advisor or if you know anyone that is a financial advisor or financial professional, we would love to book a call with them just 10 or 15 minutes of their time. Our email to reach out to us is support at stockandlock.com. You can also hop in our Discord, hit any one of us up. Wanted to get that out of the way quick, but yes, we are looking for a little bit of help there from our audience. If anyone has any contacts there, we are looking to do some customer discovery and potentially solve a lot of their problems and fuse a lot of the technology we've been building with Stop and Lock to help it get to a wider and wider range of people. Which, yeah, I was away, Daniel. Yeah, how's the weather up there in Canada? Good morning. It's uh, it's good, but uh, I was also going to ask, we're considering some new product additions, I guess, where we could potentially generate some reports on stocks. So let us know in the comment section if you could just like click a button on Stock and Lock and it would generate you maybe a one to two page report on that company showing you its highlights, its risks, um, maybe just some key data points on the stock. Let us know if that's something that you'd be interested in. And we're just kind of looking for new things to build and kind of trying to prioritize our focus a little bit over the next few months. So yeah, let us know if that would be something cool that you'd be interested in or if you have any other ideas for the platform or just things you'd like to see. Yes, yes. Big plus one to that. You can also comment on the YouTube stream. We'll see there if that's easy enough for you to just comment on stream. Again, yep. thank you in advance. Going to go through some of the comments here. Jonathan, good morning. Great to see you every week. Dandy Dan, 3Ds, love it. Sophie, two live streams in a week. Yes, we did have a special live stream on Thursday. It was super fun. Talked about a lot of stocks there. Answered a lot of questions that we get in the comments. So definitely check that one out. The recording is on our YouTube page. Good morning from Florida. Yes, East Coast. Shout out SM Finance. Great to see you every week, Nathan. Good morning. Wow. Feeling the stock love this morning. As always, start dropping your suggestions in the chat. We're going to be doing a lot of interactive uh, stock diving today. Yeah. Sure. Let's start off by asking you an interesting question, Daniel. All right. All right. Let's do it. Have you heard all the hoopla about the U.S. debt ceiling and the Democrats, Republicans? Some want to raise it. Some don't. People are talking about budget cuts. People yes. getting nervous. What, what do you think about this? I mean, you're obviously aware. Do you think about this at all? I don't think about this in the slightest. Um, this is something that comes up, I feel like, every three to six months. And then it's like in the news and everything, people freak out about it. And then they raise the debt ceiling every single time. And then no one talks about it again for about three to six months. So it's something that people seem to worry about for seemingly no reason. And like... The U.S. is just a debt machine. It's going to continue taking on debt. So I feel like they only have the option of raising the debt ceiling. Like that is the only outcome every time. So what what do you think the outcome of that would be? Because a normal person like me listens to this and it's like, okay, you have two little groups of children. One's red and one's blue. They're both fighting with each other and they're going to fight until each side gets what they want. What's at stake here is the power of the U.S. dollar, confidence in the financial system, as well as the U.S. debt and our standing as the, you know, global uh, main currency. I'm just embarrassingly forgetting that term. Uh, it just seems like it's going to eventually pop. 
Global reserve currency embarrassment right there. Yeah. I mean, do you get worried about that stuff or do you just think it's all a bunch of people like waving their arms around and making news stories? I honestly don't know. I, I have no idea. Warren Buffett was asked about this recently and he basically said he's not concerned about it. I think he knows a lot more than I do. So that leads me to not really be concerned about it. However, Charlie Munger also said that his working thesis is that every currency eventually goes to zero. So that's probably going to happen to the U.S. dollar. I mean, take a look at the rise and fall of empires throughout history. Every single empire rises. Every single one falls. There's new leaders. They emerge. I don't think... In, I don't know, but if I had to say, I would say I don't... I'm not optimistic the U.S. will be number one forever, just based on human history. Yeah, this is probably getting a little bit out of our uh, depth, or at least for me specifically, about what I feel comfortable talking about. I'm definitely not an expert on this stuff, but when you have a constant inflation rate, you know, that does compound on itself over time, right? So our grandparents, or at least uh, mine in the United States, used to go get a cup of coffee for 10 cents. Now in New York, at some places I'm paying for, well, I don't go out and get coffee, but you know, four or five, six dollars for a cup of coffee. Yeah, I guess we'll keep an eye on it. Obviously, we talk about investing here, but just to synthesize this down to a single statement, it sounds like you are not uh, letting or looking at this U.S. debt pending crisis or default in impact yeah. your investing at all. Yeah, because, I mean, hopefully you want to be investing in businesses where, let's say the U.S. dollar goes to zero. Does that mean people are going to stop drinking Coca-Cola? I don't think so. I think... Whatever replaces the U.S. currency, people will buy Coca-Cola and whatever that replacement currency is because people are going to want Coke. Um, same thing with heating your home. I know we have a difference of opinions on utilities, but for the sake of this argument, let's just avoid that. People are going to want to use their utilities, even if it's not in U.S. dollars, whatever no, the I, currency I, I, I agree. We can be abstract no. about utilities, right? Like people need energy. We could yeah. ignore about where that yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. So people are going to pay for energy and their utilities so that, you know, they can live and whatever the currency is. So as long as, in my opinion, at least, as long as you're investing in businesses that people are going to continue consuming, no matter what the U.S. dollar does, then you're probably going to be okay. And that actually is an argument to be investing rather than holding your money in cash that eventually will probably go to zero when it goes to zero i have no idea but that's the trend and that's what human history says so well, that's my opinion time will tell this is above our pay grade yeah of course you'll see in the media headlines oh if the u.s defaults under that the stock market's going to crash and you know it just feels like the media cycle hoopla like you said every several months it seems like things go up in the air i have to agree with you i have no idea what's going to happen maybe the u.s does default maybe USD does go to zero, right? Like these things that are so above my pay grade where if that actually does happen, my sad realization is the least of my worries is probably going to be about what the paper value of these stocks that I hold is if something to that level happens. We will see though. There will still be air to breathe. I mean, can't predict the future, but I have faith in humanity personally. I'm yeah, also an optimist. I mean, at one point, the Roman Empire seemed unstoppable and it fell and human civilization progressed, and now we are here today using the U.S. dollar. So, I don't know. I mean, we made it. We're here. 
All right. Well, th there you have it. Those are our thoughts or lack thereof on the U.S. debt ceiling crisis. Definitely not in our area of expertise, but yeah, you know, I finally, I honestly find it pretty interesting to hear just some regular people talking about this. I just feel like there's a lot of sensationalized news out there. So yeah, actually, one thing that I actually I'm not going to share my screen yet. I was going to, but now a new thought came to my brain. So I watched, I watched the uh, Berkshire Hathaway meeting, the annual meeting. And Warren Buffett discussed why he sold out of all of his bank stocks. Well, most of them. He still owns Bank of America, I believe. But the reason he said he got out of the banking sector was he believes that the fundamentals have changed. So historically, like when he was buying banks and everything, and when he was super optimistic on them, because he's he's held some bank stocks for decades, and then he sold them. So what happened is... Throughout history, you couldn't take your deposits out of a bank with a click of a button. You would actually have to physically go to the bank and get your money. And to avoid this, this essentially avoided bank runs in history because if everyone went to the bank, you would be standing up in a single file line and someone would literally be there like counting out $10 bills like really slowly so that, you know, they could deal with the banking crisis. Wait, wait sorry, just a quick pause. You're saying they would purposely count slowly as a like... Yeah measure to slow down the rate of money movement yes incredible yeah and then he said you actually can't do that anymore because people can move their money at the click of a button instantly all at once and with svb you saw 40 billion dollars leave the bank within one day so what he basically was saying is the banking sector now relies on the faith or the emotions of people and deposits are no longer that sticky. They can move from one bank to another very rapidly. And he also believes that the media is, he didn't say this explicitly, but he kind of said that the media is to blame or at least partially to blame because they're accelerating this fear in the banking sector where to be clear, he says people should not be scared of the banking sector. Like the US financial system he believes is very sound and no one should worry about it. But the media likes to push fear onto people, which makes them confused and makes them question the faith in the system, which, and the outcome is he's not confident that the media could just be like, oh, this bank is in trouble today. Boom. People take all their money out of that bank, move it to another one. That bank collapses. So he's like, I don't, I just can't predict what's going to happen anymore. I'm not confident in the stickiness of any deposits anymore. So he moved all of his money out of banks pretty much. He only owns Bank of America now. And I mean, let, let's even broaden the term of media here. This isn't even just the big news organizations. I think Peter Thiel, a couple other big venture capitalists started to get the finger pointed at them where these are huge VC people, billionaires, people who have been involved in venture capital who debatably and correctly called an issue at a bank, right? Like when your job is to preserve your capital and companies that you've invested in making sure that they're successful, if you see any risk at a bank and see that as a single point of failure, it's actually your job to instruct your companies and advise them to be in the best and strongest financial positioning possible. Yeah. So it gets really sticky, right? Where you don't really know who to blame. You could look at the media. I totally agree with you though. You couldn't have a Twitter bank run back in the twenties. People weren't looking at Elon Musk by like, talking about the uh, Dogecoin. You know what I mean? They're like, oh crap, none of my deposits are insured. I got to go, go press these buttons on this technical interface and transfer all my money out. Yeah. You're right. It's crazy. It's a total uh, change in the the liquidity in the flow of money you might say or the ability for consumers to quickly change things around it's actually created a quicker off-ramp and we saw this happen in real time it actually happened 
a bank run happen in a matter of days. Yeah, it, it's making me wonder if the U.S. is finally going to change the regulations where they're going to require banks to be much more liquid. Because in my opinion, the current regulations in the U.S. banking sector are just not good enough. Are you teeing yourself up for a let's let's up and go Canada statement right now? Because I'm here for absolutely it. Canada, dude. <laughs> Canada's go, got banking. Canada's got banking down. Our banking system is. The more I've looked into it, and the more that the U.S. banking system crisis has progressed, I'm just like, dude, Canada is just where it's at for financials. We got our stuff together up here. Like, just replicate <laughs> what we're doing, and you're good. Uh, I'll, I'm crying over here in New York, um, but. Anyways, yeah, that was just an interesting thing he said about banks, but I do have a couple screenshots here. Jonathan, I agree, Canadian financials for the win. Um, okay, so I went through GoEasy's investor report. Um, I did not take too many screenshots. I only have two here, but I went. I did read the report. I listened to the conference call. This is a stock we get asked about quite a bit, so I'm just going to update everyone with my opinion. So this is GoEasy. They reported their first quarter this week. And to tee myself up a little bit, this company was falling massively because in Canada, the, the government of Canada basically said that they're going to limit the interest rate that lenders can charge to 35%. And GoEasy lends out money to subprime customers, sometimes at above a 35% interest rate. So if the government of Canada is now going to limit it to a 35% interest rate, then that should slow down the company's growth. It should um, affect their profitability and their return on equity. Now, GoEasy rebuttaled this by basically saying we've, or over the past few years, we've been trying to get our average interest rate down and we're actually trying to lower the interest rate that we're charging customers. This is the company's plan. They've been doing this for a few years. And their average interest rate is now below 35%. So it's actually not going to affect them too much. But the market didn't believe them. Market sold off the stock. It, it fell like 20-something percent and uh, on just on this period. So GoEasy reports their Q1 results and then also gives guidance based on the new legislation that Canada is putting into place. Right here, we can see loan originations were up 29%. Loan growth was up 58%. Portfolio is up 39%. Revenue is up 24% and diluted EPS is up 14%. So the company is still growing, in my opinion, very, very well. And then if we take a look at their updated guidance, the top is the new updated guidance. So for this year, it's now 1.2 to 1.25 billion. Um, their previous guidance was 1.15 billion to 1.25 billion. So for this year, their guidance is actually increased on the bottom end. For next year, guidance is lowered by about 30 million and then for 2025 it's lowered on the bottom end by about 60 million so their growth does look like it could have come down a little bit but i mean we're talking we're talking sub five percent probably around two to three percent in my opinion this business is totally fine and when they announced these earnings the stock rallied i think 20 something percent so it's just like it was just one of those moments where the market, I think, got so emotional and dropped the stock for no logical reason. And the people who were buying it down around $80 Canadian, like, man, it was, it was cheap. It was freaking cheap. Now it's now it's at like 108 today. So I don't know. It was a great report. I'm going to say quick disclaimer. You do own the security, correct? Yeah, I own this. And, uh, this is not financial advice for those of you who are listening. We are not financial professionals. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't have any follow-ups there. I just don't own the socks. Not interesting to me, but cheering as a friend on the sideline where you will be gifted many of gains in the future from going to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think when it was selling for about $80 a share, their dividend was around 4.3% and historically it's compounded at 30%. So it's like, it was, in my opinion, it was very cheap down there. It's still arguably cheap today in my opinion, but yeah, got you. a little nice. update. I'm not sure if you want to take uh, any of these questions here. We got a couple questions about Canadian banks and stuff. That's in your court, uh, your call. And I am ready for Airbnb earnings too. So well, we just got a uh, comment from Alex Pohl saying, besides Airbnb, what does Jake invest in? Myself. Because he doesn't like banks, doesn't like anything financial related. They're too boring. I don't like banks. I don't like utilities. Ah, you got to keep it simple. I feel like those are simple. Well, maybe not banks, but utilities are very simple. Okay, I'm going to bookmark that maybe for the end of the stream uh, because that, I feel like that could be a tail-spinning conversation for us. Yeah, definitely. Uh, do you, so we have a repeat comment here from Oswin about EQB versus DBS and U, UOB. Is that something we can take? Uh, they've posted it a couple times. I mean, the question here... Yeah, we, I've seen this question a few times, and the reason I haven't answered it is because I personally think it's kind of vague. Which is the better bank? Um, I assume the question is relating to an investment, but even if it's related to an investment, the, which bank stock is the best bank stock totally depends on you as the investor. Like, are you looking for growth? Are you looking for a little bit more risk with that growth? Are you looking for a higher dividend? Are you looking for a dividend growth? I have no idea. So... The answer to this question actually relies on you. Like, what what investment are you looking for? Um, because, so, like, I think that equitable bank for me is the best bank stock because it 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 takes all the boxes for what I'm looking for in a dividend stock. However, I've also seen people say that the dividend is too low, so they don't want it. So, yeah, it it just depends on you as the investor. I would I would turn that question back to you and ask what are what are you looking for. Do you want a high dividend deal? Do you want a low dividend deal? Do you want more growth? And then kind of go from there. Yeah. Uh, another thing too, for people in the chat, we love these questions. I'd say it really helps out too, uh, us all doing research together. So always welcome to go out, do research, come tell us what you found. We have like very open uh, discussions about that as well. Yeah. Um, okay. So Airbnb time, they reported. Sure. I'm finally prepared for it. Airbnb is Jake's fan. Oh gosh, uh, I was thinking about this, Daniel. I don't know how I feel about stock assignments because it could tie emotions to them, but sure. Um, also, Jake, can you define Airbnb's boat moat in your analysis? Of course, that's that a great question. All right, yeah, I'm just uh, tracking the comments here. I will share my screen. I prepared a little bit for this. We're gonna dive through Airbnb's earnings. This is not financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor. If you go out and buy Airbnb because of anything I said here, that is a really silly thing to do, as well as any stocks we talk about here. You need to go do your own research, and whatever happens to you when you buy and own this stock is 110% your fault. So this is we're out of the way. Daniel and I are not here to have happy or sad conversations. Whether you win or lose here, we are all just talking about this for fun. That's Jake's five-minute recurring Disclosure, everyone. Every five yeah. minutes, we got one. One day, the SEC is going to knock on your door, and they're going to say, hey, Jake, we just want to thank you 
for the level of disclaimers you gave, we are not going to try to sue you because you guys did not get financial advice. Um, anyways, Daniel, as always, let, uh, please interrupt me if you think I'm going off topic or anything, but just very quick overview of what's happening with Airbnb. So they obviously IPO'd uh, within the last few years. Uh, the stock has actually been trending down since the IPO. I started opening a position in the 90s. And then, of course, in the past, we know the stock has ran. I did announce last week, Daniel, if you remember that I bought two shares at about 117 after not buying it for months. And I actually did say, I bet you anything now that I bought it is going to go back down. <laughs> that did happen. Um, and we're going to talk about it. They reported earnings and I have some thoughts as to why the stock went down and just really want to dive into this report. Do you have any high level thoughts, Daniel, before we hop into this? Nope. Well, I mean, I saw revenue and cash flow was up, but I don't, I really have not dove into this enough to give an educated opinion. Sweet. Well, I'm a huge Airbnb bull, so you are going to get a very opinionated, slanted view of the earnings report. I am going to be looking in the chat for people to gut check me here. Ask hard oh, questions. Uh, oh, no, no, I actually already asked a question. I can't, I can't see it because I'm sharing my screen. Okay, Stogato asked, are you worried that Airbnb's revenue growth rate is coming down? It was growing at 30 to 40%, and now their growth rate is around 20%. Not worried at all. That's a year-over-year -year growth rate, and it's coming back from the pent-up demand that built when people came back from COVID. So on their earnings call, they actually talked about this, where they expect slight flatness but continued growth for the extended future. Also, part of the undertone of everything they were talking about is this is a very long-term focused company. I think everything they are doing today in terms of product growth, new initiatives and things are to expand beyond their core. Now they are perfecting their core service. There's still a lot of growth to come in under developed markets, which I can talk about a little bit here too. So no, I am not concerned. If anything, I actually thought this was a really, really solid report in my personal opinion. That does not mean it was. That's what I think. So the market didn't think so. Stock down. The market did not think so. Yeah, which is great, right? So that's great for me. So the way that I thought that we could go through this is going to do a brief overview of their financials super quick. I actually did listen to the entire earnings call, which I think is a lot of unique value you could share here. There's just not a lot of people uh, in the investment space doing these shows that are spending that time to talk about the nitty gritty. And then obviously, Daniel, I know you and I love to dive deep on financials. Of course, I'm going to try to keep this going as quickly as possible. So stop me. Pretty questions, comments, concerns. Yeah, give us the highlights. What's going on? 1.8 billion in revenue, up 20% year over year. I don't see how that's a bad thing. <laughs> um, net income, we're going to talk about this a little bit more. Uh, it was 117 million, but this was actually mostly from interest income, which I found interesting. Uh, the way they calculate EBITDA, uh, not my favorite metric. I like the free cash flow better is 269 million. And then the free cash flow, big asterisks on this. So their free cash flow for the first quarter is usually a lot higher. Their free cash flow margin was actually in the 80s. I think it was 87%, which is unconscious. And you might ask yourself, what the heck? I thought it was in the 40s. How did it jump so high? Well, it's because people book in advance and that gets counted as unearned fees towards their operating income. But those unearned fees aren't going to translate into revenue until the actual point of sale. So you will actually see revenue materialize from the unearned fees in later reports. And they did say on the call that they are seeing a surge of people booking things even farther and farther in advance relative to past years. So there was bill uh, well over a billion dollars of unearned fees which is part of the reason why the free cash flow jumps so much. So got to view that one with an asterisk. And yeah, booking values, nights booked, everything's up. It's overall really great. So yeah, the, I wanted to share and just run through some of my notes from the call because on the earnings call, 
you really get a sense of how Brian, the CEO, thinks about this business, the things that they're focusing on. And it is one of the most consumer-focused uh, businesses I have ever come across. And I absolutely love the CEO and founder. So they're making they're working on ho making hosting mainstream. That's actually working. They have 18% increase in both uh, urban and non-urban supply. They want hosting to be just as popular as actually renting on Airbnb. So they're investing a lot in making that easier. They're seeing cross-border travel come back, especially in Asia, since they're bouncing back a little bit slower than COVID. I was also talking about untapped markets. So there is still a lot of underdeveloped markets that they have not penetrated yet. They said the U.S. was their kind of proof of concept. They have been testing how to handle emerging markets, and they found a strategy in Brazil and Germany that works. And they said explicitly that they are going to now propagate the strategy out to a ton of new areas. Um, I would need to check the report again to remember exactly what those were, but they are going to start firing on all cylinders there. Uh, they're releasing tons of product updates. So of course, memes are flying around the internet. Hey, you, you're forced to clean your room. It's not as good as a hotel. There's no price transparency. This host's a jerk. Sure, that's going to happen when you have a marketplace this big. But this company is listening to customer feedback and addressing every single concern. They actually got 3,000 natural press articles, which was half the amount of articles they got from literally IPOing, almost all positive relative to the positive consumer reaction from these changes. So they're continuing to iterate quickly, listen to their customers, and make a better and better product. And their goal is this is going to be much more than a you know, booking company. They want to be the world community of travel. And they're doing that by expanding on experiences, single night stays, longer term stays, partnering with long-term rental properties, which is up to 250 properties in the U.S., up from around 170 last year. Daniel, feel free to stop me at any point. I'm going to keep running through this. They launched rooms. So the original idea of rooms on Airbnb was actually from Craigslist. Like, they just wanted to rent out rooms. It wasn't originally an entire house. They think that they are about to capitalize super strongly on this right now, especially with the more cost-conscious consumer. So they are really doing well on Gen Z and younger travelers to get them onto these rooms. So 80% of the inventory is below 100 a night. You're going to start to do a big, big marketing push on this. And here's one of the many things I loved from the CEO, just about how they're thinking about this long term. He made an analogy to them doing rooms and getting younger traveling customers to Amazon and Jeff Bezos selling diapers. Might sound crazy, but hear me out. Jeff Bezos selling diapers to parents. That is an entry item that you get at the beginning of a family with your young baby. And if you're buying diapers from Amazon, you're more than likely to then buy all the other products that go on of the lifetime of a family. Obviously, the baby's not going to get diapers forever, but they need, might need other things. It's kind of like the hook hit. So they're starting to get a lot of these younger travelers as well who will eventually grow up and have families. And this is how long-term the CEO is thinking. You know, That's not revenue that's going to be materializing in the next few years. This is like decade-long decisions. So they're continuing to penetrate very different uh, types of consumers, retaining their existing ones while penetrating younger uh, audiences, which I think is great. They did talk about AI. And here's one thing I loved. They were actually set to roll out one of the first ever plugins with ChatGPT. Airbnb is from Y Combinator. Y Combinator and OpenAI are also tightly linked, so they're all a part of the club. We are also a Y Combinator company. So they got private access to launch from the first plugins. Brian Chesky, the CEO, pulled the plug on this plugin. They didn't launch it, and it's because he was thinking deeply about how you interact with AI, the text interface. They are going to build on AI and made it very clear that there will be companies who build the billion-dollar infrastructure projects, such as Google, Microsoft, IBM, and those will be what he said, the highways of basically like the internet for AI. 
and they're going to be building the cars on the highway. So they're going to be leveraging these models, not investing in building them themselves, all focused just on the customer experience of matching them and learning about their customer to give them the best possible stay. Uh, so that was the only talk of AI. I actually like the, they didn't bring up AI at all. That actually came up in a question from an analyst. And yeah, they're going to keep on perfecting their current product. We need to earn the right to innovate uh, from people by having a perfection on our core offering before we branch outside. So he quoted Apple there, just a lot of positive inspiration. And I'll, I'll stop there, Daniel. So the other thing we can go through here is I have really deep dives on their financials and that could be fun to go through, but this is a really good pause point. And I can't yeah, see the chat either. Let's look at the uh, financials quick. All right. So let's... Uh, nitpick their net income or net pick haha um it was 117 million i was like okay cool but i wasn't really super impressed by this honestly daniel most of their gains actually came from interest income so if you see here on this line in 2022 they had uh five now they have 146 million and that's pretty much almost the difference that you see here they did have higher revenue but they also had higher expenses one interesting thing to point out is they said on the call, so for sales and marketing expenses, Daniel, last this year they're front-loading their marketing expenses, which is interesting because they had the busy period during the summer. They said last year their marketing efforts worked so well that they waited too long to start that spend. So they said that they forecast their marketing spend for the full year 2023 to actually still be in line and up to expectations, but they're front-loading their spend more. So later in the year, we could expect better margins there since they're, again, front-loading the marketing spend relative to last year where they waited a little bit longer and that's all because it just worked so well last year okay um they've got 15 billion uh, cash equivalents on hand that actually ends up being around 8 billion of their own cash some of customer deposits and a trailing 12 month free cash flow margin of 44 percent which is incredible uh and yeah there's some notes here of what i talked about before of how they have the unearned fees that come in from future rentals from their customers that aren't actually recorded as revenue this quarter and that's going to get materialized next quarter so this is why the free cash flow number was so high uh, which okay. will not happen again next quarter this is a little bit of more of what i was talking about too they have eight billion of their own cash something no one talks about and they didn't say it on this earnings call but they said it on the last earnings call was they are open-minded to do acquisitions they didn't get really specific on what that meant but they are sitting on a lot of cash and it would just be really interesting. Uh, I have no clue who they might buy or if they're even considering that, but that's something I don't hear anyone else talking about and they bring it up sometimes on the call. Um, we obviously see their operating cash flow is going up. This is great. It's always a large percentage of revenue. It's a very profitable business. They are consistently managing share dilution. So while they are awarding employees with stocks, they repurchase shares and then some to off balance the dilution. So. They stayed true to their word on that for a $2 billion share buyback program. They just finished that, fully executed on it. They just announced another $2.5 billion of a share repurchase program, which is incredible. And I have full confidence that the management is not going to dilute shareholders. And they're making me feel very confident as a shareholder. That's not one of those tech companies diluting the shareholder for their employees. They're finding a really good balance there. And the okay. Yeah, I mean, we we get that as deep as we want here. This is the crazy 87% free cash flow margin that we just got again. That is from the unearned fees that we keep talking about. Yeah. Obviously, we can uh, look at that. Anyways, yeah, they... What's their outlook? 
Yep. So you took the words out of my mouth. I will flash back to the video very briefly for this. Everyone's probably asking, okay, Jake, you obviously love Airbnb. Shut the hell up. Why did the stock go down? I got you. I'll say your cat's very cute, Daniel. Yeah. This is why I think the stock went down. Okay. And it's what Stock Auto was bringing up. They're coming off of a huge growth. That was a big push from what they call pent up COVID demand, as you can see here. And that is going to cause their growth to look smaller. However, I view this as a temporary thing. Everything the company is executing on, simply put, and I can expand on this more. I have absolutely no concerns on this. The company is continuing to execute on building product, retain customers, and dive into new areas and expand into newer locations. For me, this is a great, not financial advice, it's a great opportunity for me to continue to slowly dollar cost average in and build this as a long-term stock. This is a, a stock that unless there's something materially changes with the leadership or their business, I love it. I mean, yeah, it looks uh, it looks pretty solid. So are they expecting the year over year represents growth of 12% to 16%. So they are expecting the revenue to go up by 12 to 16%. Um, I kind of agree with you. I'm not... I'm not overly concerned about that because they are coming off of a massive travel spend. And also I don't I don't necessarily think that the stock is pricing in massive revenue growth right now. So yes, the revenue growth is slowing down, but I think the stock is now selling for about 17 times cash flow. Is that right? So they produced 3.8 billion of free cash flow in the past uh trailing 12 months so yeah we can do a quick little quick maths it's wrong yeah. so it's a 5.45 percent free cash flow margin right now oh yeah do you want to do you want to find the price to free cash flow sure wasn't it 3.8 billion in trailing 12 months cash flow thank you so much sir <laughs> Look at me, this is my stock, and I'm trying to lower the, uh, how much they made. 17 point, uh, there you go. Six, eight, yes. So math, math is hard. <laughs> so yeah, when people talk about the revenue growth slowing down, yes, that's something to definitely consider. But again, in my opinion, at a 17.4 price to free cash flow, it's, I think it's more than pricing that in. I mean, think about Google. Google, I think is selling for probably a over 20 price to free cash flow now. And the company grew revenue by 6% last year, I believe. So Airbnb has more revenue growth still, and it is trading for uh, a lower multiple. So that would be my rebuttal against the uh, lower revenue growth. Definitely is something to consider, though. I mean, they they went from like 40% to sub 20%. But yeah, I mean, it looks like a decent quarter. <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to go back Stock to the Auto. Oh, Sorry. Stock Auto has another question here. By the way, I love these. Any thoughts on the margins? Customers are moving more towards cheaper urban options. The average rate will come down. Premium customers are going for hotels like Marriott reported 33% growth. So I'll respond to this first. Um, Full disclosure, I do not own Airbnb stock. I am not nearly as in love with this company as Jake, which is fine. <laughs> totally fine. Everyone is their own investor. Um, But I... I I kind of agree with Stock Auto a little bit. As I've said on the stream, when I went to Asia and I was exploring Asia, some of our Airbnbs were very subpar and to the point where we would actually cancel the stay early 
get our money back, and then go and find a hotel. And the hotels were much better, much, much better experiences a lot of the time. So it actually changed how we booked the rest of the trip. So yeah, I mean, there are there are concerns. And for me, that's one of the reasons why I'm skeptical. I agree with you, Jake, though, that the company is growing. Also, what I will say is when I was in Thailand, I saw the Airbnb experiences and I was considering going and doing some because some of them looked great and I didn't find them on Google or anything. So yeah, I do see that being a growth avenue, but uh, what, what's your response to this comment here? No, I, I mean, this is really great. And these are like conversations we love having, right? Because I think people can get to different conclusions on this stock and there's no real right or wrong at the end of the day, right? Like you said, it's what the investor is looking for. Yeah. The hotel, so I'm viewing this as two conversations. Like, do you view hotels as a competitive threat and as well as are there concerns in emerging markets with some of the issues they're facing? Daniel, you are totally right. There are issues in emerging markets. And when you look at their revenue segmentation and stuff, those areas that are just coming online basically for Airbnb are less of their revenue growth, but also have the most growth trajectory. What Brian Teske said on the earnings call, which I love to see, he does not view them as direct competitors with hotels, but the thing that hotels do have on them is hotels have a concierge desk that you just go to. Airbnb like does not have a concierge desk. They actually very interestingly tied AI into this in terms of like how they can give better experience as well as what they're looking for for price. So they're seeing prices of hotels go up and places like Marriott and those CEOs, they're actually seeing demand and price come back. Airbnb is going to attack this directly where the CEO of Airbnb does not want prices on Airbnb to go up. Also, their single room option that they're just starting to put out is going to be much cheaper than hotels. I do agree with you, Daniel. There are issues with Airbnbs in emerging markets, but those are all things that I am going to be looking forward to get solved over time. I saw I see them solving those problems in every other more established market they're in today. So I just view those as natural growing pains. So what I'm not you... trying to wave my hands and say that's a good thing, but so um, for someone for someone who's looking to hold this stock very long, not something that concerns me. So regarding the question though, what are your thoughts about the margins? So you just very clearly oh, yeah, the margin. Airbnb is not looking to grow their prices, which means that, you know, their top line per booking is most likely then not going to go up. Also, some of the concerns that I've seen on the internet overall is that Airbnb's fees are just ridiculous. Like they're way too freaking high. And I think that's actually reflected in the company's 44% free cash flow margin. Like they have this massive margin that's clearly coming from arguably overcharging people. Over time, if that becomes more of a concern, I could see that margin actually coming down. Especially if people are going to be booking single rooms. Like, instead of someone needing to book a full place now, they can book a single room. Would Airbnb's margins on that go down now? Sure. So, so to me, it's more of a volume thing. So they're starting to penetrate the new consumer of getting the single room stays. Their margins could come down, but like my rebuttal there is it's like their free cash flow margin right now is ridiculously high. I actually don't think they need to maintain it that high to still have a fastly growing company. And they're growing. Here's where I think people are missing it respectfully to Doc Otto and you, Daniel, in terms of looking at this business. Right now, they make most of their money from direct stays. Actually, almost 20% of them are like long-term stays now. That, in my opinion, in the next five or 10 years is going to be one of their revenue streams. Like you said, they have Airbnb experiences. They're going more into the single room stays. They're starting to partner with um, actual like big apartment buildings in the United States. I also think that with their search engines and stuff for experiences, they're going to start to get advertisement revenue in the future selling on that. They are going into emerging markets. So 
for example, they were talking about just Germany and Brazil. There are tons of markets in Asia and South America that they're going to start going in really hard. I think that there's still a ton of untapped potential there. So to me, they're going to keep on growing the number of people that are on the app using it over time and the number of things booked. I do agree and see margins coming down slightly, but my rebuttal there is I don't see that as a reason to sell the stock or say that they're doomed. Uh, it's just very hard to maintain that high level of margin. And I could actually accept that coming down a little bit and they would still be pretty profitable. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Not financial advice, of course. Um, and yeah, we have a lot of fun talking about this one in the Stock Unlock Discord as well. So if you are not there, come hang out. Bulls, bears, welcome. Uh, we actually love a variety of opinions here. So yeah, we'll see what happens with this one over time. Obviously, the market's not liking it. I've been nibbling on shares, and this is my thesis here is I'm planning on holding this for a very long time. I think the CEO has a very long-term vision. I 100% see this company owning and being the future of travel. I don't think that AI is going to attack the mode of this business of anything that can use it to their advantage and out of their competitors. I see them innovating, talking to customers more, and executing way faster than anyone else. And I would include hotels in that. So we'll see. Yep. I definitely don't think that it looks overly expensive today. It took a huge hit. So, I mean, yeah, like the stock ran. It looked like they were actually expecting a beat. So a lot of people were like, oh, the stock dropped so much. I was like, yeah, it, it did drop, but it, it like depends on your perspective, right? Because it did run up on earnings. Also, if you want to go from the lows, it's still up. But, you know, that's all relative. I am just slowly dollar cost averaging into this. I don't know where the stock's going to go short term. Maybe it falls even more. Maybe they report even slower growth than they want it to. Next quarter for me, again, as someone who's a long-term bull in this business, I have, I do not really care what the stock does in the next few years. If it keeps going down and they keep executing, great. I'll keep buying it. And that's, that's my thoughts. All right. Well, there's the uh, Airbnb presentation, everyone. Wow. We're at 94 concurrent. Well, I missed so many chats. Daniel, maybe you could summarize them for me. Are people uh, hating me for this one and calling me stupid? Am I getting some love, everything in between? Uh, seems like mostly positive. There is one comment here from AA that says, it seems to me that you have a very positive bias towards Airbnb and not looking at it objectively. This is not a good way to evaluate a company. Would you agree with this? I have an interesting response. I agree with this principle that whenever someone's doing this, it's not great. I just need a little bit more information here of an example. Yeah. One thing I do recognize is like, I am a huge bull on Airbnb. In my personal opinion, I also try to look for bad things. If we want to talk about the, like, quote, bad things in this report, the only thing that I thought was a little meh was the way that they report free cash flow. I had to dig a little bit in the report to see the unearned fees thing, even though they did say that. I wish that they were a little bit more forthcoming about that. And also the net income piece I thought was a little eh. Like, they kept saying, oh, like, we made the most net income ever, this and that. But really, it all came from interest expense, so... Yeah, one thing I wasn't in love with was even though I think the reports are clear, the 10Q is only 40 pages, I would like them to be even more upfront about that. I think yeah. that's fair. Yeah, but you know, give me an example and fair point. I could very much be making some mistakes here, so call me out on that. Uh, every yep, day. yep. And thank you for saying that respectfully, too. We we very much welcome that stuff. Um, okay, Lars says, I made a fair value calculation. 15% growth in first year, five year, and drop 10% after five year. My fair, my fair value estimate is $70. Sorry, I can't read today. 
I mean, what what are what are we projecting here? Is this like revenue? I, net that be, I actually, uh, I'm not sure, but basically they're saying they would like it a little bit uh, to drop a little bit more. What is uh? Oh, Andrew. Sorry, I read your second comment first. Andrew Blount, sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, says stocks dropping is a good thing if the business is growing. Recent example is go easy. I would agree with that. You get, you know, you get the you get the same business at a cheaper price, which ultimately is a good thing. And stocks fluctuate more than the underlying businesses, which is where the opportunity lies. Volatility is actually the opportunity if you can uh, capitalize on it. So stocks are led in the short term by psychology. Over the long term, they follow the business, though. The performance of the business so yeah it's great let's see if we can get some more uh, see, funny funny term in the last comment here a jake sized position i'm assuming that means you nibbled on a single share the, one to three shares one to five shares this is not financial advice but i'll repeat this again the best one of the best mind hacks or little life hacks for investing if you want to buy a company buy one single share of it and hold it for one week do you lose sleep over it? Do you think about it a lot? It might sound silly, but I really think this is a great way to kind of like wet your beak a bit when you're getting into new stuff. So not financial advice, but it works for me. It uh, helps mentally. I saw a few questions. Actually, I just want to address this comment because it's it's weighing on my mind for some reason. But uh, Natish says, Daniel, you never talk about utility stocks. You do not like to invest in utilities. I know you did not invest in energy. Wait, what? I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if this is uh, sarcastic or not, so please elaborate. But I feel like I talk about utilities quite a bit, and I definitely own some utilities. Like, some pretty sizable positions as well. Um, Joey says, bought more Brookfield yesterday. I saw some more comments about Brookfield. So they reported this week. I did a full video on my channel, Daniel Pronk, um, about Brookfield yesterday and everything that went on there. High-level thoughts, the business is growing. They did 15% cash flow growth year over year. And then trailing 12 months, cash flow is up 24%. Um, their insurance business is going to double this year. It's now going to do $800 million in free cash flow this year. Last year, did $400 million. So the business is growing strong. Insiders also purchased over $100 million worth of shares in the first quarter of their own money in the open market. So insiders are quite bullish on the stock here. And... Um, it's selling for about 11 times cash flow now, and it's growing at 15% per year. So I thought it was a good report. I don't know why the market sold it off. Um, one of those things, I guess. Dude, I thought you said that if the stock price goes down after a report, it means the report had to be bad. It did, yeah, exactly. Just like Airbnb. <laughs> it obviously sucked. <laughs> for, for anyone that doesn't know us too well, we are definitely a joke in there. Um all right, good analysis on Airbnb. Quite a lot of details other investors would miss. Uh, you are making me blush. Yes, definitely love diving deep on that. Um, listen to the earnings calls. The earnings calls, I highly recommend people listen to. Uh, good analysis. I personally don't get Airbnb's moat in terms of being forced to compete on price. We tend to avoid the oligopolistic insurance world. That's a big word. Um, I'm trying to read between the lines on this one. I think, I think competing on price for Airbnb is a good thing because they have the margin and are going to be able to beat out their competitors there since they have the lower base cost. This, that's an interesting comment because Tesla is arguably doing the exact same thing. Tesla is market share. Yeah, they're keeping their margins down to, well, they say 
to try and take market share and get more sales. So it sounds like Airbnb is actually saying they're doing the same thing. And they're doing the single room stays, which is going to beat any hotel price. Look, it, I say this a lot and I don't mean to beat a dead horse here. There is going to be a company that wins travel. There will also be room for other players. I don't think hotels are going out of business. In my personal opinion, not financial advice, Airbnb is best set up there. That's obviously made clear. But yeah, these are real thoughts. I think everyone who's thinking about this deeply, don't follow my conclusions. Go do your own research, come to your own conclusions. And maybe it's different than mine. I think that's great. And we could still shake hands and have a beer together and talk about it. Yep. But Andrew also says, awesome video by Brookfield, just posted by Daniel. Appreciate that. Um, usually those videos don't get that many views. Brookfield seems to be a confusing, boring utility company, but, uh, well, they're not just utility, but a lot of people view them as that. But yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. It just says, Daniel, are you buying more TD? I own TD stock. I have not purchased more recently. When it was falling significantly, I did buy more, um, but recently, no. Actually, recently, I haven't been buying that many stocks. I've had, I got a little bit wrecked by taxes this year. So I am currently building up my cash position again, which is really slowing down the rate at which I buy stocks. So if you see a little bit of a lull in me buying a lot of stocks, that's why I, uh, I, I got to build up that cash position again. Do you guys use the term uh, Uncle Sam in Canada, like giving your money to good old Uncle Sam, or is that just a U.S. thing? We know the term, but I don't believe we say it. It's Uncle Sam, I believe, is referred to as the U.S. government. So who's the uncle or aunt in Canada then? Senior Trudeau. <laughs> yeah, Barrett, fair enough. Um, I'll take just a quick comment here. Uh, as and also, we see you every week. Thank you so much for hanging out. If you guys are listening to the recording on this on YouTube or Spotify podcast, Apple podcast, come hang out with us live sometime. It's super fun. Jake, are you not worried that booking will steal Airbnb lunch? I'm assuming you're talking about booking.com. No, I'm not worried. The Airbnb numbers are very clear. They're growing. They're gaining market share across every single segment of their business and every geography that they're in. I'm not seeing any evidence of this. And I'll repeat again. I think there's room for multiple players here. I've looked pretty deep at their competitors and they do not have the margins or the quick movingness or the leadership that Airbnb has. So don't mean to be a broken record there, but that was my opinion. Lots of stocks here, Daniel. Anything, uh, anything popping out? Um... Day Trading says, Hi everyone, what do you think about JPM versus Bank of America, bro? And then later on down here says, JPM versus Bank of America, bro. What's up, bro? Bro, I got you. All right. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> do we do the uh, weird effect? One, two, three, bro. <laughs> and that's the one type of stream we do that. Very cringy. If anyone's listening to audio, funny video effects here. All right, I am going to load up. But please save us and mute me, Daniel. I'm about to take us uh, off topic. <laughs> All right, I'm going to load up this in stock unlock. And while you are loading it, Grape Jelly, uh, great, or should I say grape name, by the way, stock unlock is fire. Y'all, good job. Very impressed. Thank you. We have a great time building this. If you ever have feature requests or feedback for us, let us know in the chat. Hit up support at stock unlock, and thank you so much. Actually, while we have everyone here and we're on this topic, I'm going to stop, stop sharing my screen really quick. We're debating building a feature where we can generate reports for people. Basically, at the click of a button, maybe like one to two page report on any stock. 
by leveraging, you know, our stock unlock insights, it would basically tell you the good, the bad, the risks, things you maybe want to look into more a high level view of the stock, maybe even a deeper level or deeper depth view of the stock. Again, just by clicking one button on stock unlock. Um, let us know in the comments. Do you think that would be valuable? Is that something you would use? And another question would be, would that be something that you would pay more for or if there was a higher subscription price for that, would you would you be willing to buy it essentially? Because this is probably going to be something that takes a ton of time and it will be like an add-on, I think. So we're debating if we want to build it or not and let us know if it's something that you would use, if you would pay more for it, and if you would find it helpful. And if you're listening on audio, support at stockandlock.com is a great way to contact us. We would love to hear from you. This is Inception, Daniel. We are analyzing businesses we are running and growing businesses, and the businesses we are analyzing are through the businesses we are building, which is stock and block. So the level of inception and loops that are happening right now is really cool. At least to my head, that thinks of things in loops. We're at least five layers deep here. Oh, dude, it, we're like, oh, this is a five-layer deep burrito. We're, we're taking Taco Bell uh, run for their money right now. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I'm going to compare JP Morgan versus Bank of America using the comparison stock and lock insights here. So overall, looks like they have relatively the same scores. JP Morgan on the left looks like it is slightly higher. JP Morgan's going to revenue at 13.5%, Bank of America 9.45%. Bank of America and JP Morgan are also buying back shares. Analysts are more bullish on JP Morgan. I'm going to turn off education mode quickly. Dividends on Bank of America is actually better. Forward dividend yield is higher than its average, growing at 4.76%. Over the five years, it's grown a little bit better, and the payout ratio is slightly lower. So overall, dividend seems to be growing faster and a little bit safer over at Bank of America. Sorry, my cat is getting into things it should not be getting into. Financial health at JP Morgan apparently is a little bit better. Efficiency ratio is also better, so it's a little bit more of a profitable bank. Growth score is 311 on both. Interesting. Deposits are increasing at both banks. Interest income is increasing faster. Net interest income is decreasing. Net loans increasing, tangible book value per share increasing, revenue increasing faster, net income decreasing, book value. Interesting. So they have different things going on. JP Morgan is growing revenue faster. Net income is also holding up. Bank of America's net income is declining faster. Um, both deposits decreasing. Interesting. Overall, though, I would actually say that personally, I like JP Morgan's growth better. Even though the score is the same, the areas that are growing are better, in my opinion. Just to oh. double click on that a little bit, Daniel, you're saying uh, for the audience, the makeup of the score, even though the number is the same, can make one look better or worse. And I guess is that because different subcategories of a group can be breaking down differently? I would say it's totally subjective. In my opinion, the growth score is the exact same. But in my opinion, looking at JP Morgan's different growth insights, I would like it better. Awesome. And if you're watching this video and want to go do this on your own later, I highly suggest toggling education mode on. Uh, Daniel has it off because he's an expert. But if you are doing this yourself, we define everything in line. You could click on any one of the names here and we will explain why something has the rating it does. But I'm going to keep this moving along here, Daniel. Um, anything okay. else? So JP Morgan has a higher return on tangible equity. So again, it's a more profitable bank. Now let's get into the valuation here. So JP Morgan, both of these stocks are selling below their five-year average price-to-earnings ratios, which is one thing that investors like to do is look at how is the stock valued today versus its history. So right here, we can see JP Morgan is 14% below its five-year average. 
Bank of America is 32% below. So in terms of valuation, Bank of America looks like it is much more below its historical averages. Um, same thing for the price to sales ratio. That's not my favorite ratio, but it's here. And then three-year stock growth, five-year stock growth. So JP Morgan has been be performing better. Um, so taking a look at these insights, it looks like Bank of America might be a better value stock right now, but JP Morgan overall looks like it is the higher quality bank, in my opinion. And you're assessing quality on all those metrics combined, or are there like one or two for banks that matter more to you over other types of metrics? Well, overall, the bank is seeing its revenue grow faster. It's not seeing its net income decline nearly as much. It has a lower efficiency ratio, which is actually better because it means the bank is more efficient. And then it has a higher return on tangible equity, which means it's more profitable. So it just seems like those metrics combined seem like it's a little bit more of a higher quality bank. That's me. In my opinion. In your opinion, yes. Uh, I, I was biting my tongue on the disclaimer because I feel like I got very nicely reminded that we don't need too many disclaimers. But yes, please do your own research. Also, thank you so much for all the great answers we're getting on the reports. You're, you can let your mind one run wild here as if we could, you know, if you want to get a report on two companies that are compared and contrasted. Daniel, I am taking some screenshots of the feedback for us to talk about more internally as a company, but it seems a little bit mixed bag here. Some people say it sounds cool. Other people saying, hey, respectfully, thanks, but no thanks, dog. Totally cool. The only thing we ask for is your blunt honesty. We don't need to be propped up. We don't, you know, we can handle uh, blunt feedback. I think Daniel specifically, if you look in his comment section on some of his YouTube videos, definitely is weathered when it comes to uh, getting some alternate opinions from people. So <laughs> we we can handle it. Yeah, blunt feedback is the best. We just want to know. Like we're we're looking for new new ideas, new things to build. I mean, we are a business, so the reality is we're looking for new ways to get our revenue higher so that we can actually build more features and whatnot. So generating these reports was just one of the ideas on the board. So blunt feedback, if that's something you'd be interested in, let us know. If it's not and you hate the idea, let us know. We definitely appreciate both sides. We got a comment here from NIMS, which is an interesting one. Actually, wait. Yeah. I ask because once I asked what your buying thoughts were on a stock that I was buying. Okay, so previously NIMS has asked us about a stock that they were buying and our opinion on it. We said the stock was no good as revenue was decreasing. The stock in question was Ruth. They said they were recently acquired and I pocketed 40% within a 45 month period. So this is interesting. You know, yes, we will have opinions on stocks. Will they be right all of the time? No, absolutely not. No one can bat 100% in the stock market. It's an unrealistic expectation. Um, in this case, I'm happy we were wrong because we don't have to buy the stock. You were invested in the stock. You made 40%. That's a win. So congratulations, and uh, I'm happy we were wrong on it. <laughs> I'm waiting for someone. Do you, do you know how they have the inverse Kramer ETF? I'm waiting yeah. for someone to do the inverse Daniel Prong, or, you know, hey, you know, we're all here for it. And to what Daniel said, right? Like, there's tens of thousands of stocks out there. You don't need to pick all of them. We try to pick the ones we feel the most confidence in, but if we don't pick one, it usually doesn't mean that we think it's going to do bad. Like, Daniel owns BAM. I don't. I don't see what he sees, but... That's not me saying, hey, dude, I think that stock's terrible. So usually no opinion is sometimes the safest place. 
Not where that cat is, though. That is not a safe place. It loves the Dude, printer. For for those who don't know, I adopted this cat. Um, I rescued it from the shelter about three weeks ago now. And it's a little wild. As you saw, Jake, when you were doing your Airbnb report, it just, like, randomly jumped on the chair and was walking around. And it it gets into things like this right now that it's doing, that it should not yeah. be doing. Anyways. We, yeah, we, we usually take these for about an hour, I think. Maybe we'll take, you know, a couple more chats here. I know Daniel always has a lot to do in Canada. I have stuff to do in New York as well, building more code. But one quick comment from here. I think the price for stock unlock should remain the same. So right now there's actually a 25% discount that we are offering. If you are not already subscribed to stock unlock, of course, we would love it for you guys to check it out. Free to try, no credit card, none of that weird stuff. You can use the entire product without giving us any payment information and we try to run an honest business of course if you like it we would honestly love your revenue since it helps us grow and no we do not have any plans of raising the price and just to clarify what daniel was saying with the reports and other things those would be product extensions and this is very pie in the sky none of these are real plans as a startup we move fail iterate extremely quickly so we could have a new new idea next week and never talk about reports again just know that this is all very high level but do not worry. Another thing we did actually, Daniel, for all of our early adopters who bought Stock and Lock, thank you so much. We kept those people on their original tier. So we are very price conscious and with our consumers and really do respect your wallets. We pay out of pocket for Stock and Lock as well as founders of this business. We do not get a free account. We pay just as much as you guys do. So we always want to hear your honest thoughts on price. It's something we care about a lot. At the same time, we do need to run a business that has, you know, some hope of being profitable and driving. Uh, farther gains and all that right uh, where it's not a charity but yeah thank you so much for uh subscribing by the way we appreciate your yeah. support and uh thank you for the ideas too like as when here says share site portfolio tracking would be cool for a fraction of the price if you guys can build it I, I i mean again we're looking for things to build we're always looking for things to build and um we'll take a look we'll definitely take a look it's coming <laughs> <laughs> All right, Daniel, how are you feeling? Any more questions here you want to wrap up? I mean, this has been a great episode 31. Look. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm good to start wrapping this up. I got, I've actually got quite a busy day today. I have a full weekend of hosting family. Shelby's family's coming over tonight, and then my family's coming over tomorrow. Are you guys cooking? Like, what are the roles there, if anything? Tonight, are, like, do you both we're having, Tonight we're having burgers, barbecuing some burgers, and then tomorrow we're doing a full-on dinner for my family chicken salad everything so we're going to be cooking a lot it's going to be a busy house wow what is the mission statement of stock unlock jake yes we transform everyday people into investors we are building the investment education and analysis tools that are left behind by all brokerages today the reason why this business was started is Daniel and myself both balanced subscriptions to multiple third-party applications. We were using Excel sheets to analyze stocks. And what really frustrated us was what's available for retail investors usually has a few fallacies to it. One, some of these things are way too expensive. We wanted to make something affordable. Two, all of us start off as newbies and all of these tools were built as if you already had learned everything about stocks. So what's really frustrating is there is no good on-ramp tool that had training wheels, which Stock Unlock has, for new investors to come in. I also will not name names here, but we also saw some very detrimental features to retail investors across other apps that made us angry. For example, one app was measuring how much a stock price had fallen from its high and saying that that was the price of safety on a stock. So if no, it's no, not no, no. 
I'm going to, I'm going to correct you quick. That we're not going to name the platform, but there was another platform. Basically, it would take the highest the stock has ever been, and if the stock is down 80%, then it would say that the fair value for the stock is where it previously was high. So the further down a stock was from the highs, the more safe the buy it was. That's bro. Yes. No. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, watch episode one of Soft Talk if you actually want to hear the hilarious story of how this all started. I will not go through it here, but the very quick uh, prelude is I was a random person on the internet. I saw Daniel making Excel sheets in his YouTube videos, and he said that he would spend five to eight hours a week building Excel sheets. There was then a three to four month dance of me very borderline harassing Daniel across many social avenues, basically writing software in my spare time, say, hey, you can generate this sheet in five seconds. Please accept my DM. And I also selfishly want more templates from you. Anyways, lots of fun that went on there back and forth. But of course, it culminated into a the great company that we're talking about today. So if you want to hear that full story, episode one of Stock Talk. Poor Daniel. <laughs> All right, I'm going to answer one more question from day trading. Um, Yeah, let's just get, get to it quick and then I'll hop off. Cool. Yeah, that's a good one to end on. And thank you so much, everyone, for all these comments. Brother Daniel. This is the guy that says bro a lot. What's up, day trader, bro? <laughs> Brother Daniel, I'm immigrants in Canada from India. I make $35,000 to $40,000 a year. I send my money back home to invest here and save to buy home. I have no any loan. How do I save money and invest? Um, I mean, the best way to invest money is, as you said, to save more money. So if you're not making a huge salary, well, basically, if you want to increase the amount of money you can invest, you have two options, which is either decrease your expenses or increase your income. So I, I've found in my own life that decreasing expenses is actually easier than increasing your income. So one thing you can do is just go through your monthly expenses go through, you know, your bank statements, take a look at where, where are you spending your money? And then ask yourself, what would you be willing to cut out? Or are there things that you're spending your money on that you don't need to be spending your money on? And I've, I've seen that I do spend quite a bit of money on random things once in a while. And there's times where, you know, I have a few subscriptions going on to like Crave, Netflix, Amazon, and I don't really need those all the time. So yeah, that's that's kind of the gist of it is you got two options. Increase your income or decrease your expenses. Figure out which one's easier and usually we'll be decreasing your expenses. Yeah, one thing to add on to this plus one to everything Daniel said, you should have the ability to open up a brokerage and be able to invest in fractional shares. This is not me urging you to do that, consult a financial professional, but you can have you can invest with five dollars a month. And it's more of a mindset thing. You know that the $5 isn't going to get you towards your goal. But we are all, at the end of the day, humans and monkey bodies. We are very much creatures that run by habit. So if you can start forcing yourself to even put $5 in a, a week or $5 in every two weeks, that will start changing your psychology to more so think about investing. So when you're out getting dinner or something, if you're thinking about getting that bottle of wine or getting a water, you might look at the price of the bottle of wine and say, well, I could add this in a, as an expense to the dinner, or I can go invest in this wine company that I like or an index or something like that. That's how I suggest yeah. starting to get into it. You have to make those moves. And then to what everything Daniel was, Daniel was saying, yes, either raise your income or lower your expenses. And yeah, one, one, 
one perspective I've gained from spending money is like this. Let's let's use the wine example. Let's say a bottle of wine is 60 bucks at dinner. You're debating if you want to get it or not. Think about that bottle of wine in terms of what it's costing your future self. For example, if you instead took that $60 and invested it and even generated 8% returns over the next 20 to 30 years, how much is that bottle of wine actually costing you and your future self? Probably a multiple of at least five, five to 10. So that $60, $50 bottle of wine, $56 bottle of wine is actually costing you about 250 to potentially $500 in terms over of- what, Over what time frame? Can you explain that a little more? I said 20 to 30 years at right. an 8% return rate. So just thinking about how much things are costing you, your future self, instead of, you know, if you just took that money and actually invested it, things are a lot more expensive than they seem that way. And then it helps me at least. Got some more questions here. Daniel, is it better to stay with stocks or to buy a house? I've heard that most millionaires get rich off real estate and stocks are for later. What do you think? So I'm not a financial advisor. This is me giving the disclaimer now because it sounds like you're actually- Oh, disclaimer, bro. It, this is like- <laughs> getting along the lines of actual financial advice here um my opinion is i and i actually don't know if this is the best but this is what i do i bought this house this is the house i live in i own it i pay a mortgage on it the interest rate on it is like 2.7 percent i got so i don't know it's a it's a hard one i'm not i'm just I think that you should just stay with whatever you feel most confident in and wherever your edge is. For me, I don't have an edge in real estate. I don't really know that much about real estate at all, but I feel like I have a pretty strong edge in stocks. So for me, I basically keep my entire portfolio in stocks. Although I do have one real estate investment that I took on and that's actually going pretty well. But most for, most likely for me, I'm just going to stay in stocks. And I don't know if that's right. I'm sorry I can't be more help here. Really cool guy. I'd say just like generally speaking to when you go into real estate, just make sure you really understand the debt you're taking on in the mortgage, the interest payments. Try to look at how much of your payments month over month are going to be going towards the principal versus the interest. There are some predatory loans out there from banks. So I think that you should always just be thinking in ways of protecting your future cash flows. And yeah, I mean, real estate, it's just so wide ranging, right? Depending yeah, on where you buy it, what type of house is it? Is it multi-tenant? Are you going to be getting cash flow from that? So it's, I think, a little bit out of our range of expertise. But Yeah, for sure. Um, really cool guy also follows up. If I have a 20% down payment, should I put 20% or not on it to decrease my ROI? What are your thoughts on down payment, assuming I have the cash for a 20% down payment? So my thoughts on down payment and real estate in general, even talking about do I put, like for me, I can put more money on my mortgage every month to lower my, my, uh, I believe it's the principal of my mortgage. So I've actually thought about this. And as I said, my mortgage interest rate is about 2.8%. So that's the cost of the money. So if I can take my own money and invest it in the stock market at even a 5% return, then I'm actually getting a higher yield on my money than paying off my mortgage because I essentially would be making a 2.8% profit on my mortgage at my interest rate. However, with interest rates rising, if my mortgage were 10%, then I would have to compare, okay, by paying off my mortgage, I'm getting an immediate 10% return on that money by lowering that debt. And then I would have to compare that versus the stock market. 
And can I guarantee that I'm going to get a 10% return in the stock market? No. So if my interest rate on my mortgage is 10%, then it actually could be a better opportunity or decision to start paying down my mortgage. But it all depends on the interest rate. Right now with a 2.8% interest rate, I'm reluctant to put any more money on my mortgage because I can get higher yields elsewhere. But again, if the interest rate were higher, then, then that would change everything. So it, it depends. It really depends. I really love this real estate hole we're in right now. Just to put a little bit of sprinkles on top of this beautiful cake that we just made here, Daniel. When you buy a house, you literally own this gosh darn house. Like you have to take care of it or pay someone to. Daniel, I know that you had some one-time expenses as well that are very unpredictable. Let's just make up a scenario. Let's say your house gets struck by lightning or a tree falls on it or you need to replace the roof or you buy it and the boiler is not good. You know, just, just know that there's other expenses that come with owning this. So... Yeah, think it's about, not. Think about it a lot. Don't make any fast decisions. It's not. It's not a passive investment at all. Like, I don't think that real estate is this investment where you know you buy a bunch of real estate and boom, you're making all this money. It's definitely not like that. For example, my own house last year, my roof. I had to get my roof replaced, which I got quoted at sixteen thousand dollars. And then when they started replacing my roof, the plywood underneath my roof was actually starting to rot. So they had to replace all of the plywood. That $16,000 that I was quoted went up to 30000 real quick. And then about a month later, my furnace went. It just like crapped the bed and died. And then that was an extra $8,000 expense within within like literally two to three months after. So within about three months, I had $38,000 of home expenses that I could not avoid and like, you know, that's the cost of, that's the cost of owning a house. And those things can come out of nowhere and they're unexpected. Hey, Daniel, I got a tip for you. What's that? Did you know that Airbnb is making it easier and easier to host? And Did you could know. scoop some of that money when you're gone for weekends by hosting your house on Airbnb, which helps me. One day I'll, one day I'll rent out this house. When I buy a new house, I'll keep this one and rent it out. But no, I'm not going to do that. All right. This is a... Daniel, any more thoughts on the real estate here? I mean, that was a super fun dive. I feel like we ought to come back up for air, unless there's any any other points you want to hit there. Um, one last point, as I will say, yes, there is expenses with real estate owning and like owning your own house and whatever, like that $38,000 expense I just said. But what I did not say is that I purchased my home in 2019 at a $365,000 price here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And the houses directly near me are now selling for close to 600000 So my unrealized gain on this house right now is probably close to, what would that be? 240000 if I wanted to liquidate the asset right now. So, I mean, when you think about it like that, with real estate going up, like I am sitting on a pretty freaking massive gain here and I could liquidate that and then go rent and have $240,000 in profit. Well, I'd have to pay tax on it probably, but you know, so there, are, there definitely is upside. I was going to say not, not to fully dampen what you just said, just know that it's hard to time the housing market. So I think Daniel retroactively looking back at things, not that you could have predicted the future. No, definitely not. You ended up doing very well. I do have friends that bought houses in New Jersey and New York in like two, in 2021 during the bubble, those people are actually all really, not only are they down on their investment where their house has lost value, but they got pretty bad loans that weren't at fixed rates. And now 
they're paying thousands of dollars a month where 60% of that is going towards interest and not the principal, where they're going to end up paying more than two times back what the original loan was. That's yeah, not to scare people. We're not advisors. It's just like, talk to as many different people as you can about this. Don't just talk to us. We're not it's not a for sure investment here. It's not a for sure investment at all. Like there's nothing saying that your house is going to go up in value in 10 years. You don't. All right. It all depends. But we actually got a comment here from Anthony A that said, y'all need to clip this last part. Can you, can you elaborate on which part that was so that we can actually clip it? We have a, we're clipping up these. So let us know what it was. If you're still here. Wow. Well, I mean, I'm still surprised we've got, you know, 85 people hanging out, but that is the first time we have ever actually really talked about real estate. Obviously, nothing we're claiming to be experts in, but that was super fun. Jeez, well, obviously, we could take these for a while. I, I think we'll start winding us down to a close here, Daniel. I know you said you have to head out. I think I'm about to do the same. Yeah, uh, let us know what you thought of the stream in the chat. We love hearing your feedback. Please leave us a comment, a like, share us with your friends, let us know. We are obviously selfishly trying to grow. We are two of the three co-founders of Stock Unlock and just really love talking about stocks every week. You could probably tell how nerdy we are about this stuff. And if we didn't have the show or Stock Unlock, I think Daniel and I would still, as friends, be having these conversations. So it is really, really incredible to have the opportunity to have these live with you all. Anything from you, Daniel? I got my finger over the end broadcast button here. Finger on the trigger. Nope. Just as always, thanks everyone for tuning in. It's fun. Hope you guys had a good time. And, uh... We'll see you next Saturday. We appreciate this one. Someone took us literally and they wrote a comment and I said, leave a comment. Ha ha. I was in the same. <laughs> okay. All right. Have a great, great weekend, everyone. Signing out. All right. Goodbye.